0: Unfortunately, my mother stabbed my father, and yeah, he had to be hospitalized over that. I mean, that's where I met a lot of the older criminals that, you know, I eventually be- became really good friends with. As I said at the start, being housed with all these older criminals all the time, being bashed and tortured and abused every day, and used my lived experience to try and project that positive energy back into the community.
1: Young Soldier of God
0: that
1: March. Yo, it's your boy Dave here and this is the Fallon
0: Show. Hope all is going well out there. God bless you all. How about you introduce yourself, brother, and where you're from? How you going, Dave? It's finally good to meet you, man. My name's Kane Richardson. I'm 30, just turned 34 years old. I'm from Monceston in Tasmania. Um, yeah, basically, you know, I've been sharing my story and my journey over the last nearly four years since I was released from prison in 2019 in November and um, yeah basically man my story is just one of you know hardship dysfunctional family someone that ended up on the wrong side of the law and you know unfortunately it took a really long time for me to get back on the right track nearly 21 years of offending and being incarcerated in juvenile detention and adult prison
1: oh well brother oh, well man i mean first of all man it's good to have you on the show kane
0: um thank you bro i appreciate you having me man
1: yeah no welcome to the fallen show bro i mean you're the first one um i've had on from tassie from uh, old tasmania so um you know it's uh, definitely good to have you on i've actually checked out your story and um you know, seen your um podcast that you've done. Um, sorry, bro, what was that podcast again? Uh, Darren Petty podcast, the Darren Petty podcast. Yeah, so I checked you out yep. on there, man. And um, bro, well done. That was an awesome um interview. I'll leave a link. I'll, I'll leave the link in the in the description. It's like three hours long, but um, it's good, man. It was very insightful. Um, obviously, me, I didn't know much about the Tasmanian like prison system or the politics or anything like that um so yeah it was very insightful to see all of that bro and what you've gone through and what you'll you've been able to overcome because obviously it's a story of redemption so there's yeah, uh there's right. a good news it's a good news story don't worry yeah for sure so yeah it's definitely a good news story in the end but um yeah, no, it was pretty shocking, man, that um podcast to see what you've gone through over there in Tassie. Um, if I go, it's pretty bad over there. Well, they'll fix that up a little bit nowadays, have they? In the in the last few years or something?
0: Yeah, slowly getting better, mate. They're building more facilities and yeah, sort of spreading out the facilities as well. Whereas mainly all the adult system prisons were down in the south. Now they're considering building one in the north. Yeah, and, like,
1: oh, okay. so and that's the adult people. system. That's the adult system. Yeah. Because then you also say so I've been to that um, Ashley's youth detention in, over there as well, and, man, that was pretty horrific, bro.
0: Yeah, absolutely. all, mate, shouldn't even be standing still. Like it's – all I've done basically, man, is renovate and refurbish the same units that people my age and older have suffered serious crimes in and they've just painted the place renovated it and just changed the insides of it you know like it's still the same buildings that were there 50 years ago
1: look so kane it's good to have you on the show bro i mean by by all accounts man i um, seeing your story and some of the news articles and things on you bro like um the reality is like um during your um i guess tenure in that life like you've built a reputation as one of the most notorious criminals in um Tasmania is that fair enough to say bro like for some of the stuff that you've gone through and and
0: things like that 100% Dave um yeah at at one point or at a lot of points you know over that last the last four years I've been excellent don't get me wrong you know I've been clean off of all the hard substances substances in general but yeah no re-offending no relapsing no gambling none of the things that it's sort of drag me back to that lifestyle and that way of life every other time I've been released from custody and you know I was just one of the really lucky ones that you know I I committed I made that decision the last time I was in prison to be exactly that I wanted it to be the last time I ever stepped foot inside a prison as a prisoner I come from that life so when I see blokes like yourself doing this kind of thing it's just like I know how small of a percentage you are, and you would be with your friend circle as well. You know, they, they, I'm sure they support you doing good and you having a platform to share your story, and they support you 100%. But if you weren't doing it, they wouldn't be like it's,
1: yeah, no, you know. Not yeah well, I mean, yeah, you know how it is man. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. but I mean that's what the show's all about, you know what I mean, um, that's what it's all about, you know, I mean, anybody getting out of jail that sort of you know flicks on the show and sort of sees the guests and sees the stories can see like, oh well, this is legit, you know what I mean? like because that's what it's, that that's who it's for. It's like my show's for everyone, you know what I mean, even people that don't have a history and never even been in that life. But, you know, really in my heart, you know, it's for the guys that's, you know, getting out of jail, you know what I mean? Um,
0: just trying know, to make a yeah,
1: just trying to make a go of it. And then they can see these stories because that's what I did. I mean, look, bro, again, it's good to have you on the show. Um, you've been through a lot, um, you know, in your life. And um, I mean, bro, where did it start, man, in, in, in Tasmania? Whereabouts?
0: Basically, man, I was born here in Launceston in Tasmania. And um, in the early years, so that first year, year and a half, I lived in my mother's care until my father and her had some difficulties. And yeah, she ended up, my father ended up trying to take me from my mother. Um, Yeah, that turned violent. And unfortunately, my mother stabbed my father. And yeah, he had to be hospitalised over that and... Yeah, by the time he got better, he come back and forcefully removed me from that house. And then, you know, I was nine. Oh, what was it I was nine, 18, 19 months old at this point. So obviously, I don't remember any of this. It's just what I've been told happened as when I was that young. And yeah, once my father removed me from my mother's care and my other siblings, I never, I never actually seen them again until. I was nine and a half years old. So the first year and a half I spent here in Launceston. But then, yeah, once my father actually forcefully removed me from my mother's care, I grew up in Georgetown. From one to ten, it was basically living with my father, who was very strict, very routine-based, very, you know, like he had morals and he had rules and he had guidelines and all the rest of it routine and all that was a big part of my life and then once my father got ill with cancer when I was about six and a half he eventually passed away when I was nearly 10 um yeah I I actually went from having you know a, a childhood of one kind to a complete opposite one like one that I'd never I'd never experienced any of the stuff that I was exposed to once my father died before he died. So it wasn't like I got a warm-up to cannabis or a warm-up to alcoholics or a warm-up to, you know, seeing my mother being in a violent domestic abuse relationship. It wasn't like I got used to having five siblings under the same roof. I just, I went from being an only child in a three-bedroom house with just me and my dad to, yeah, being moved into a three-bedroom house with my mother, who I'd never met, my stepfather, who I'd never met, and my five siblings, who I'd never never met. Yeah, they, they were heavy drinkers, man. And just, yeah, probably a week, a week in, and then just out of nowhere, like, click of the fingers, my mother and stepfather were, like, full belting each other. Like, you know, it was like two men fighting, watching my mother fight with my stepfather, and yeah, it was just a massive shock to my system because I'd never seen violence, let alone my mother being the one having it perpetrated upon her and her perpetrating it back upon them in an aggressive manner. So yeah, basically once all that happened that night, I kind of ran away and, you know, I was upset and I was scared and I didn't want to go back to the house because, you know, my mother had just had her head punched in in front of me and it was just all a bit much for me to take in. But in a way, that's that's what led me to meeting these other criminals that were older than me that were, you know, driving around in stolen vehicles. They had there was like a big block of flats across well, there still is. It's called Orwinton Court. It's basically about 40 to 60 units that are directly across from where we used to live, and they're just all one bedroom units. Um once again, lower class sort of living standards. Yeah, that's where it all started, man. That's where I met a lot of the older criminals that, you know, I eventually become really good friends with and, you know, they did. They groomed me in a sense that, you know, I was 10, 10 and a half years old, running away from home because of all this sort of stuff that I was being exposed to. But yet these older criminals were sort of like, Realising that I was in a vulnerable position and being like, "Well, if he's too scared to go home, as long as we don't scare him more than that, he'll come with us and do whatever we ask him." You know what I mean, sort of thing. So, like, and yeah, man, it just, you know, to be honest, it it, it spiralled out of control really quickly. Like, it. I remember when I first went to Ashley's. I had my father hadn't been deceased six months. I hadn't wow. lived with my. I hadn't lived with my mother and my siblings for six months. I hadn't, I hadn't finished primary school, you know, like, and I was being locked in the youth detention centre. So, like, it, it all happened really fast.
1: From there, man. So you've you've walked into Ashley's now. So how 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 old were you when you walked in there?
0: Still so ten. I was, yeah, I was. No, I was four days over eleven or something when I first went to Ashley's
1: and like what how was that whole experience for again you know less than six months after you know in a very short span of time now you've ended up in there so how was that walking in there and oh
0: brother, like it's you know i still do counseling to this day man like for that i went through out there and in other parts of the state but like yeah man like I don't know how much of my socials and stuff you've seen, brother, but, like, for me, I've seen, yeah. um, for me, you know, like, I really hope that one day I can, you know, put a business plan on the table and have the sort of backing and support that I'll need in order to get financing and things like that. To help make sure that no other kid goes through the sort of shit that me and my mates went through when we first went to Ashley's.
1: How was it for you during your... Uh, because then you got transferred to prison when you were how old, bro? 16, was it? 17, yeah. So you got transferred to, to prison when you were 17. So, I mean, how... how? I mean, in a nutshell, brother, how was that time from 10? 10...
0: It, it shaped who I am today, you know. Like, I, I take a lot of... I've gotten rid of a lot of negative traits and a lot of negativity that I harbored because of, you
1: know, life. Like, like you said, you're still seeing people now because of the, you're still speaking to professionals now because of what you went through during that period in your life. Isn't it?
0: 100%. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's like, you know, I, I often think to myself, Dave, like where, where would I be? Who would I have become? What would I have achieved? how would my life have turned out if you know if I hadn't have spent my whole youth locked in a detention centre that, that literally had no foundation for rehabilitation, you know? So, like, when I first walked into Ashley's, there was only one unit, and it was called the New Wing. This building was the shape of an L, and on the small end of the L was, like, common area table tennis table, Coke machine, games room with a PlayStation and a few other, another table tennis table. There was a TV room with heaps of chairs and a TV to watch movies and shit. And then the dining area. But the long part of the L shape of the building was literally just one, two, three, four, five, six, nine or 10 cell doors up one big long corridor that housed all 70 detainees of Ashley Detention Centre. You know, there's people up there doing tattoos, there's people up there making and yeah, like you can just come and go all day up and down that corridor like it was just, yeah, like so yeah, like I know a lot of people probably think, you know, youth offenders and offenders in general need to be locked up and need to be mistreated or, you know, shown that it's not okay to do what we do out here in the community and all these things and that's fine, but yeah, the kind of shit that I went through, man, it was me and my friends, you know, and other people that I know. It wasn't just me. Um, the sexual and emotional and the physical abuse, the traumatic shit that comes with that beyond that. So, like, the behaviours that it instils within the victim, the shame and the guilt that comes with it, it sort of... It does. It, it all compacts in your mind and like, I've seen so many different people around my age, like obviously I was the youngest, but around my age and up to about 13, 14, just probably between six to 10 of us over that time that I spent in Ashley's, I've witnessed them go through very similar stuff to me in terms of the abuse And it's just completely changed them, like in ways that you, you know, it's hard to describe. Like, I've had friends that have been completely normal. Not saying that being gay or bisexual isn't normal. I'm just saying, like, they were straight white young men. And then after several years of being continually abused every time we went to that centre, one of my good friends actually turned bisexual because when you suffer that kind of abuse you do start questioning your own sexual identity
1: you've gone through ashley's um unfortunate unfortunately you've been housed with you know older guys and things like that you know people as well um sexual abuse was common um physical abuse things like this so i mean by the time you've escaped that 17 what kind of a person were you by that by, by this point from that 10-year-old?
0: Yeah, so it's a hard one, Dave. You know, like, I hate it. It makes me throat dry up even thinking about it. But, um, yeah, you know, I was someone that just, I, I had no happiness in me, you know. Like, by that point, man, I was, I was literally self-harming in so many different ways without sitting there slashing my wrist, you know what I mean? I've never once slashed my wrist or, you know, done anything like that. But as for self-harm with reckless, careless, dangerous behaviours and knowing that one reaction has another reaction, knowing how to put myself in hurtful, harmful and dangerous positions over and over and over and over again, that was how I self-harmed. And it took me a long time to understand that. I I wasn't, well, I would have been 25, 26 when it was properly explained to me that basically I I was self-harming every day for nearly 13 years. Like I just didn't look at it like that. Mm. To me, it was a lifestyle. These were common traits that I had to do, things that I had to express and display to people so that they understood where my mind frame was at and what sort of a person I was. I felt that all these behaviours and these learned things, I had to keep displaying and showing and in order to, you know, make sure people understood my identity. Because, like, in my head, at that age, by the time I was ready to go... Well, I wasn't ready, um, but by the time I was sent to prison, yeah, basically, in my mind, man, I was... You know, it sounds stupid, but in my mind, I was like the worst treated. No one loved me. I was never going to amount to anything.
1: How was it for you, man, walking out, walking in there with that chip on your shoulder versus the reality of of the the yard? You know what I mean? And and you walking in there at seventeen years old. How? how yeah. How how was that?
0: Yeah. So. You know, I had a bit of a unique introduction to the prison system Um, because we'd escaped me and my mate, or five of us actually escaped on the night, but me and my best mate were the ones that were doing the escape and the other three basically just come with us. But um, yeah, because I'd overpowered one of the Ashley workers, locked him in my cell and let the rest of the detainees out of the secure unit that we were housed in at Ashley's. Um, Yeah, when the police actually caught up with me and my co-offender, because we were 17 and a bit, and it was now the sixth time he'd escaped and seventh or eighth time that I'd escaped from Ashley's. Yeah, they'd um, basically just turned around and said, well, basically, once they're apprehended, They will not come back into the juvenile system. They'll be taken to the Hobart Reception Prison and then transferred later on into the mainstream adult prison. And um, I'll never forget it, King Dave. When I fucking when we walked into the remand centre, right there was this massive, big, tall screw. I won't say his name, but um. Everyone hates him. He's just a cockhead thing because he's fucking six foot four and 120 kilo and he's big supervisor. He just thinks he's fucking tough cunt. Anyway, me and my mate have, like, got off the bus and we're sitting in the cells, like, dressed in our, like, normal clothes. And we're sort of just sitting there and he comes storming in and fucking tells us to stand up. And we both just sort of look at each other like, fuck off. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're just into hostilities immediately, you know what I mean? Because this cunt's just stormed in trying to straight away be like, do as you're told, you're in jail now. And we just sort of looked at each other like, fuck this goose, and just stayed sitting down. And he's like, oh, you know, really, really tried to intimidate us and put it on us and tell us that things weren't going to be the same here as they were at Ashley's and, you know, rah, rah. rah and that was all good. We sort of just sat there and like just, laughed at him really just shrugged it off listened to the introduction and that was that but little did we know at 17 years old everything that he was saying was fucking dead on the money mate like they in their minds like even right now Dave like I've got a civil lawsuit against our state government for the way in which I was treated and handled and whatnot when I was a juvenile like the government they're still sending back emails and like undermining what they done to me and how they treated me and where they housed me and who they housed me with and they're just like, oh, he was a, you know, serious violent offence. We had to like, I was a child. Like, yeah,
1: no, exactly. It, it
0: doesn't matter that I was doing all these things and I was seventeen. Like, I was still yeah. a child. Yeah. After we had our little introduction downstairs, man, they basically said, oh, look, you're going to be housed in a six-man division on level four of the remand centre and we were just like yep whatever too easy anyway we've gone up to the level four with them and yeah when we've walked in there they've introduced us to the other three inmates that were being housed there and we didn't like know that we were actually being housed with other inmates because we'd just overpowered a worker and been on the run for fucking nearly two weeks and all these things we just presumed we'd be locked down but no nah, we literally just got taken up there shown ourselves introduced to the other three adults that were being housed in there and left there that was that they just walked off and left us there Um, yeah like I said man bit of a unique Circumstance for myself and my best mate because we were both seventeen. We're only eleven days apart in age, and um yeah, when when they walked off, they had just locked two underage. So we we're both seventeen still. They'd just locked two of our state's worst developing youth offenders in a room no bigger than this. So like I'm just, this is just a normal sized lounge room. In a room no bigger than this, yeah. with our state's most violent, notorious, repeat criminal sex offender. Like he, he's basically just an all-round fucking animal psycho. Like, you know what I mean? This this bloke has killed people. He rapes people. There's two people on missing persons posters in our city alone that he is the key suspect in their disappearance. He's been the head of one of our most notorious jail gangs for 15, 20 years. Yeah, man, over that next five weeks, Dave, it was um, definitely the most trying five or six weeks of my life at the time, you know, just... Because I'd been through so much already as a, as a young boy in a detention centre that was poorly managed, poorly run, and just, you know, being, as I said at the start, being housed with all these older criminals all the time, not just once, not just twice, but, like, every time I went there, there was a different dynamic to how poorly the place was being run. So, like, naturally my rehabilitation and me getting better, it it just wasn't happening. Like, Mm -hmm. whether I was out in the community or back inside the detention centre. Yeah, like I said, it was the most challenging and trying five or six weeks of my life at the time. And eventually, man, things just got the better of me. And yeah, we was in our cells one night. And, you know, you got to understand, after five, six weeks of being bashed, bullied, picked on assaulted traumatized and tortured you know we won't go into it too much on here but all the sick shit that he was doing to me like no one else would have lasted five six weeks of you know being bashed and tortured and abused every day to the point that I didn't get five minutes out of the eight hours that we would come out of ourselves without him in my face in my ear you know, choking me, punching me, pinching me, burning me, tipping hot water on me, like, just knocking me out and choking me and doing all this shit to me every single day. It just got to the point where I snapped, man. And, yeah, basically, um, I was in my cell one night and he was just saying some rancid, horrid, putrid shit to me. And, yeah, I just snapped, Dave. Like, I, um, I couldn't handle it anymore and... Um, yeah, I eventually smashed my way out of my cell and caused about thirty thousand dollars damage to the like the unit that we'd been housed in for the last five weeks. And um, yeah, long story short, they um, removed me from there, obviously by force. And then I was housed downstairs for about five days, just right near the officers' station in the remand centre, while they cleaned up all the mess I'd made and moved it, moved the other five detainees around out of that unit because it was now inoperable. And um, yeah, probably probably wasn't even two weeks after I'd done that, I was still in lockdown for doing that and um, I was sitting on the phone having a phone call and one of my mates taps on the window and I look up and he's holding a sign up saying get ready, we're about to write and I was just sort of like how? You know, like I'm sitting here on phone in a pair of handcuffs and are locked in there but anyway they ended up um, ripping the medication trolley off of the staff when they come at tea time that night and yeah, over the next five hours, we just it took about an hour, hour and a half for them to help get me out of my cell. Um, afterwards, they had to smash like down the wall next to the door frame and shit because I'd come out the windows of the door the first time. They were now plastic perspex and we couldn't smash them out, so we literally had to smash a hole out of the wall next to the big steel door frame. But um, yeah. Basically, man, after six hours of rioting, we um, surrendered because there was five blokes that were actually unconscious and non-responsive from all the medication that they'd taken out of the, the inmate trolley. Oh, no way. Yeah. And, um, you know, naturally we wanted to get the people out of there that were overdosing in case they died. But yeah, the, fair enough. The tactical uh... group are just like, either you all surrender or they can die basically that's what they said like we don't care you aren't just sending out the people that are overdosing you's either all lay face down and surrender or we're not taking anyone out until we work out how we're going to end this so the ones of us that were basically in charge of the riot just said No, fuck that we're surrendering because if one of these poor bastards die you know what I mean the people that didn't let everyone else out are going to be the ones held accountable so like yeah we just surrendered and um that was when, you know, I, I thought that my introduction to jail couldn't have got any worse, you know. I'd been locked in with this fucking animal that just wanted to torture me and abuse me and all this shit. It had been like the hardest six weeks of my life and I thought that going to the jail, the, the actual jail jail, because we were in the remand centre, um, would be a positive change. I knew heaps of people over there and had heaps of friends and all the rest of it. And then I find out, like when we get transferred that night, before eight o'clock the next morning, I'd been informed that you know I'd just been housed in the remand centre with our state's most hated, most wanted, and most hunted inmate. He um he was actually over there for super super protection because he'd become the centre of a correctional officer trying to smuggle a loaded 9 millimeter handgun into the prison for the other um, southern gang to use to kill this man. Like, that's how dangerous he was. Like, that the other gang were actually going to bring a gun into the jail. A, a correctional officer got nearly six years for it. Like, he actually got done doing it. So, between the correctional officer and five others, I think they got nearly nearly 20 years between them all, like for trying to bring that gun yep. into the jail. So, basically, I turned 18 in uh, solitary. So, once we had the riot and then moved to the jail, um, several of us, including me, got housed in Super Maximum, which is called Huon. Down here in Tasmania. And yeah, basically, after about two weeks um, of being locked in this super maximum unit after the riot at the Remand Centre, this is, we're now in 2008 at this point. So we're a couple of weeks into the new year. And um, yeah, same deal. I ended up having just, yeah, meltdown after meltdown once I got solitary because it was just, yeah. Like I said, man, when I got there, I was just being reminded by every single prisoner that would be able to speak to me, whether they seen me walking through the spine or I was out exercising and they were walking past or this and that. It was just, oh, Cain, what were you doing over there with him? You're dead, mate, you're dead. Every, Oh, the southerners are going to kill you. Oh, mate, what were you doing in there with him? Like, and it's all I kept hearing. So it just kept like fueling my bad behaviour because I was just like, how am I being targeted now by the other gang that's at war with the cunt that just fucking tortured me for six weeks? Mm -hmm. How are they now targeting me? He just fucking tortured me for six weeks. Like, it was just, it was a fuck situation, man. And, like, yeah, once I turned 18 in solitary, it just got to a point now where I knew that, Right or wrong, I was going to have to fight once I got down to the mainstream yards, simply because the Southern gang believed that I was all buddy buddy with the gang leader of the Northern gang, who had now snitched half of their gang in and got them nearly twenty years. You know what I mean? And they think I'm over there being chummy chummy with it, like. So it was, uh, it was just.
1: That's bad news. All right? That's all bad. Oh,
0: fuck uh, man. Uh, but um yeah once so I ended up doing I think I ended up doing like 15 or 16 months that lagging 15 to 18 months on remand at all those three places I applied for Supreme Court bail and was granted it on one of these dates between me getting out on the 20th and being rearrested on the 26th um some males that, were known to me and were close to me in a sense, Um, were involved in a tragic incident that left one bloke deceased and another um, male seriously injured. And yeah, one of those men unfortunately died and yeah, I was implicated in that murder along with four others and yeah after being out on supreme court bail for 6 days I was rearrested on boxing day 2008 and oh charged no. with, yeah charged with murder and taken straight back so
1: Like stasia had been out
0: yeah 6 days oh. so it was, it was a bit of a shit situation but you know like looking back man I don't I don't regret doing that nine months. You know, I was on a 10 o'clock curfew. This happened at 10 past 11 at night or something. The police had checked my curfew. I was asleep both times. They come 27 minutes apart. Like there was just, there was ample time for the police to make sure I didn't go to jail for nine months, but they weren't in they weren't they weren't interested though. they weren't <laughs>
1: interested. they weren't interested in that especially seeing they just got on out they definitely wanted wanted you back in ASAP I mean yeah,
0: yeah
1: it's uh, we know you know what I mean bro like yeah. we know the the yeah well you know it is uh again Tazier it's just man it sounds crazy down there I mean well look bro like from there um so you've all. Like when did it all? I guess when did it all start to 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 change for you? Like um, when, when did that? When did that initiate? You know, because it sounds like a miracle. It sounds like a miracle. Well, really, it's a miracle for any of us, say, to really turn our backs on that life. You know what I mean? Well, you oh, know, man. you know the statistics, man. You know, like Fuck, I mean, where, 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 how did that
0: how did that uh, penny drop for you? So basically, Dave, man, it got to a point like. I know everyone sort of has their own expression or their own little speech for how they turned their life around or, or what what brought about that change in the mindset to want to try and change and all those things. But for me personally, man, I don't think it was any one thing. It was a combination of several things. It was, I had got to a point in my life where I, I couldn't stand the sight of myself anymore. I honestly... If I heard my own voice, I would fucking fly into a fit of rage. Like I I I was just suicidal that last three and a half years. Like so the two sieges that I had, there was one in 2016 and there was one in 2018. And it led to me trying to hang myself and wanting to force police to shoot me and just all this crazy shit because I, I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't see myself going back to prison and then coming out and making the changes I need to make to live a normal life because I'd been in and out of prison 20, 25 times or 26 times. I worked out the other day. Um, I, I just couldn't see it. Mm,
1: yep. Well, so you've gone through that uh, uh that first police siege, and then you said you're, you've had a second one. So what's happened during the, the second one and, and after, after that?
0: So I was in a relationship that I probably should never have been in to start with, and it turned really toxic once I got out of prison after that first siege. And yeah, I, I tried my hardest to rectify everything to get on top of it, but I spiralled back out of control, got back on the drugs and really let it take a handle on my life again. And once once it all sort of went away and I realised the sort of lifestyle that I'd created for myself again and that I was stuck being a drug addict again, that I was stuck doing the wrong thing again and that I was surrounded by all these people that would happily see me live my life like this for the rest of my life, It just, it really ate me up, man. And, you know, I thought I was suicidal and in a bad headspace that first time round. The second time round was just so much more intense. And I knew when the police were surrounding my house and they were, the negotiators were talking to me to try and get me out of the house. I knew within my mind, Dave, that once I got, inside a prison cell after I got out of this house, it'd be the last time that I stepped foot in one again. I just knew, like, it was just, after everything I'd been through and all the challenges I'd overcome and all the fucking scary shit that I'd had to face, um, it, it was just like a switch in my mind. Like, I just knew listening to the cops' radios outside my house and listening to them talk about how they were going to get me out of the house and all this stuff. I just realised really quickly right then and there that my life was amounting to nothing and I was wasting more talent than I care to touch on. You know what I mean? Like I've got the ability to do just about anything I put my mind to in this world, in this life. And here I was leaving this criminal legacy criminal lifestyle for my daughter to have to navigate as she gets older you know like everyone in this small place knows my name and they they only know up until the last three and a half years bad things they only have bad stories to tell they only have bad memories to share and you know if my kid's going to grow up in this state I, I don't want that to be my legacy I don't you know, I want to be the face of change, not the face of pain, you know what I mean?
1: Mm, yeah, no, 100%, brother, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's awesome to see what you've been able to overcome, man, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking stuff, bro, and I mean, um, it sounds like they definitely need it um, out your way, you know, people like you that are standing up and um, voicing their opinions, like, what, what is life looking uh, like for you? Nowadays, brother, and what are some of your future goals and um and kicking down there in Tassie,
0: brother? So many. Um, I've got my whiteboard Mac right here beside me, just in
1: case. Yeah,
0: nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, man. In the last few weeks, things have really um amped up a lot in the youth work and the diversionary, uh, the troubled youth diversionary work that I've been trying to get involved in so yeah of late man of um i've just um put my application in for my working with vulnerable people's card yeah so since since i got released in 2019 my my long-term goal or intermediate goal has been to crack into that um career path you know working with troubled and disadvantaged youth I'm happy to work with adults as well, but I just find my passion is more with the youth, but I'm easy either way. Helping someone's helping someone. I don't care if they're young, old, elderly. It makes no difference to me. If I'm improving their quality of life, it's it's empowering them, it's empowering me, and I'm I'm happy with that result, no matter who it is, no matter how old they are. Just, just based on that work there with APM, I am... Um, was reached out to from the Brain Injury Association of Tasmania. They run a program called Custody for Life. This program is linked in with Tasmania Police, Tasmania Community Youth Justice and Tasmania, Tasmania Community Corrections. Now, basically what the Custody for Life program entails is it's people from Brain Injury Association of Tasmania, TAS Police, all them other organisations I've just named, all coming into one and they've created the Custody for Life program to help all these juveniles that have come into the system, whether it's foster care, um, needing help financially for whatever reason, being linked in with... Um, all the service providers that are hooked in with Centrelink, like APM, um, have been in custody uh, on bail for minor offences, have been to Ashley's. Basically, as soon as they reach some point on some scale, they are then eligible to go into this Custody for Life program. And it's aimed at explaining to these children that, you know, a brain injury can come about in so many ways.
1: Well, look, I mean, we're sort of coming to the end here, my bro. So No
0: worries, brother, my man.
1: Brother Kane, it's it's been awesome having you on the show and being able to hear um where you're coming from and where you're going. Definitely this the same battle we're all fighting for fighting here. Um, you know, they say that you can sort of judge a nation by the way that they treat their um their most vulnerable. Yeah. And um I mean, on a world scale, it, it's not looking good, brother. You know what I mean? It's it's not it's, it's definitely not looking good. So, you know, luckily there's soldiers like us, man, that are definitely willing to stand on the front line with no fear at all, mate. No, no backward step, is it, brother?
0: No, nah, that's it, my man. It's the only way to be. All
1: right, man. Again, man, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. I'll leave your um, links in the description um so if you want to get a hold if you want to get a hold of the brother here and i'm sure a lot of people will um i'll leave the link uh, link in the description so you can reach out to the bro here
0: no worries brother much love man thanks so much for getting me on the felon podcast cheers brother